You've seen those movies where they say, make my day, or I'm your worst nightmare. Well, listen to this one. Rubber baby buggy bumpers. Ha! You didn't know I'm gonna say that, did you? Your move, creep. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Film Feast podcast. I am your host, Matt Bledsoe, and this week I am very excited because we are doing another edition of an episode we did a couple months ago called The Great Movie Swap. (laughs) And returning to the podcast to help me with that uh, is someone who I love talking movies with. He is the host of the Cult Movies podcast and a contributor at F This Movie. It's Anthony King. Anthony, how are you doing? I'm great, Matt. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm very excited we're finally doing this. Uh, I appreciate that you <laughs> you came back because uh, we had planned to do this a couple weeks ago, and I had an insane week and said, Anthony, can we push this back? And you were very polite and agreed. So <laughs> I'm glad we are finally doing it now. No, yeah. No, I'm I'm always happy to um, you know help out. But, I mean, I love – you're one of my favorite people to talk movies with. So uh, this is really exciting. I had a blast the first time we did it. So uh, I can't wait to see uh, what comes of this one. I know, I know. That was so much fun last time because it's kind of, and people don't know if they missed the first volume, I was going to explain if you weren't familiar with the premise. So Anthony and I each gave each other three movies to watch. So we then had to take those three movies and pair them up and make double features out of them. So we'll be talking about uh, 12 movies in total in this episode. <laughs> so, um, and I, yeah, I know what I gave you, you know, what you gave me, but I have no idea where you'll go with some of these pairings. So that's like the the really fun part and talk about the other movies with you that that I gave you. So uh, I'm excited to hear your thoughts and all that. So, um, yeah, no, it should be fun. Um, and before we kind of jump into that, though, um, I just want to give you a chance to talk a little bit about Cult Movies podcast because uh, I love that podcast. <laughs> it's so it's so fantastic. I'm so honored that you had me on um, very early on episode two to talk about Halloween. And you've had some amazing guests since. I'm kind of even honored to be on the same podcast with some of these people. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, if you want to talk about your podcast, people, if they don't know about cult movies, if you want to tell them about it a little bit. Uh, yeah, it's uh, so it's a show that is based off of uh, film critic and author Danny Perry's series of books called Cult Movies. He wrote three of them. And between the three books, uh, he covers 200 movies and he writes long form essays on on each of these movies that he considers cult movies. And so the point of the podcast is I have a guest uh, come on. They pick a movie from one of his books, and then we talk about that movie. And then the second half of the show, we uh, offer up three pairings each um, that, you know, movies that we'd pair with that initial movie. And, yeah, it's it's been a ton of fun um, getting to meet. You know, I've gotten to know uh, you and, like, Daniel and Mike and Lindsay uh, through through our shows um, but then getting to talk to like some of my, you know, sort of, uh, heroes in the, f- uh, field of like film commentary or, or film writing, like, uh, Bill Ackerman or Emma Westwood, Sam Deegan, 
Um, you know, Jacob Knight uh, is was the latest guest. And so uh, when this comes out, uh, I will have one more episode to go for the first season. And it's a it's a big one. It's uh, uh, a really exciting guest that uh, you know who it is, but uh, I'm, I'm saving it for everybody else uh, for when it comes out on Sunday. So, uh, but it, it's super fun talking about, uh, you know, just all sorts of movies. And, uh, you know, the, my favorite thing is kind of like what we're doing tonight. Uh, I get a list of movies that I need to go watch or movies that I've never seen before that I, I, I really want to watch now. Um, and that's like my favorite type of podcast and and like when i listen to movie podcasts i always have my you know my notes open on my phone or like a a pen and paper handy just to write down any titles uh that come about and like you know that's all i do anymore is just watch movies that uh you know i've i've heard about on podcasts or read about in books so uh, it's really fun getting to talk to these people and and just you know hear uh, some of these obscure titles that that uh, some of these people hold near and dear to their hearts. Yeah, no, it's been fantastic. Um, and you're smart too, because I like that you're doing seasons. I feel like that would help you from burnout because <laughs> this podcast is not designed to do seasons. It's like a weekly thing. We just hit 25 and I'm like, oh, a quarter of way to 100. But man, I these podcasts have gone on for like 300, 400, 500 episodes. I don't know how they do it. They're weekly shows. I'm like, that. I just admire them so much more now. But your season's idea is kind of, I'm kind of jealous that you get like a little season break. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I've been podcasting for, for many, many years. And I, you know, I've done the seasons I've done, uh, you know, straight through, like I, I did a show for two years straight. And I mean, that's only two years and I got burned out. I, you know, we got, I don't know, a uh, hundred and some odd episodes. I was like, okay, this is, this is too much, man. Uh, but yeah, I, I like, I'm breaking this up into 20 episode seasons. So, uh, all in all, there'll be, you know, 10 seasons. And I think, you know, I'm taking uh, about a month off, um, of recording, so th- I'm really excited about that. And I get to uh, only like worry about or not even worry, but just focus on doing other people's podcasts like Film Feast. So that's really exciting um, that I don't have to worry about. And, and like this this season finale episode has been recorded. So like I'm done with my show for like a month. So that's that's thrilling to me. <laughs> <laughs> that does sound nice. I am. I've been starting the process recently of asking people to do things like way in advance because uh, usually I'm doing it on a week by week basis. Now I'm starting to the whole banking idea of like you record maybe four or five in a week or two and bank them. You have like a month's worth of podcasts where you don't have to do anything. Um, that should help a lot because yeah, the week by week grind is it's something, but I do, I, I like it. But then it's like, I took one, I took a couple weeks off uh, or beginning of the year. We banked episodes and I missed it. I missed podcasting like almost immediately. I was like, what's wrong with me? Like, oh, for oh. sure. Well, yeah, I so like I recorded uh, our season finale uh, last Saturday and uh, like by Tuesday. Well, was it today that we're recording? I I had to start lining up guests for the second season because I'm like, I mean, I still want to think about the podcast. So, you know, I started lining guests up for, you know, to start recording in a month from now. But still, uh, you know, uh, I totally get what you're saying that, you know, <laughs> you miss it, but also you know, you don't, you don't want to burn out. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. So yeah. (laughs) And uh, what you said about, yeah, listening to podcasts and getting movie recommendations. That's my whole thing. Now my whole watch list is basically made up of, uh, movies I've heard about on podcasts. If I'm watching something someone's like, Oh, why'd you watch this randomly? I'm like, 
heard about it on a podcast. That's usually my answer. <laughs> it's like <laughs> somebody brought they can bring it up again passing. And it's like, oh, yeah, I want to watch uh, uh, Congo. <laughs> it's like you know, <laughs> right. something super random. I'm like, <laughs> they brought it up. I have to watch it now. Um, it's yeah, it's just crazy. I hit my watch list is out of control, but I just. You know, I can't I can't stop adding stuff to <laughs> Right. Well, and, you know, I mean, we we hope to be part of the problem with episodes like this. So that's true. That is true. <laughs> um, so I like to recommend more movies. We can talk about a lot of stuff, which is fun. So um, I guess we will jump right into it because we do have a lot of movies to talk about. So uh, you are the guest. Uh, so I will let you go first. I'm curious which uh, which one you will start with, with these picks. So. <laughs> OK, so I you gave me three movies. I am going in just alphabetical order. OK. Um, so the first one that you gave me is Ryan Johnson's brick from 2005. Um, and of course stars Joseph Gordon Levitt and Lucas Haas, um, and Noah Fleiss. Uh, it, it's, uh, a straight up noir. And so this was the second time that I've watched it. And the first time I watched it, I didn't know what to think of it because it's so, because they talk like, you know, and they're in a noir from the 30s or 40s. Right, yeah. I'm like, what the hell's going on here? Uh, but it, this was also the first time I ever saw a Ryan Johnson movie. I knew nothing about him. Of course, you know, you hear him on podcasts and, and read about him now. Like, he's a huge movie buff and, like, historian. And, like, he respects, especially, like, the, the noir mystery genres. Um, and so this time around watching it, I was like, oh, man, this dude's, like, on point he is so freaking good um anyways if you haven't seen brick uh joseph gordon levitt plays this uh high school kid called brendan um and they're in california he's kind of a a, a loner or an outcast um but the film opens up with brendan uh, looking at this uh, dead body of this girl in a ditch, and we uh, real soon find out, okay, this is his ex-girlfriend. Uh, so then the film kind of backtracks a couple days before, and um, uh, before the discovery of this body, and we're following Brendan, trying to figure out like why his ex has changed so much. There's something going on. Um, and then she disappears. And so he's kind of investigating that. And then, um, and then his investigation into why she was murdered. And so along the way, he comes across, uh, kind of these other loners, uh, drug dealers, uh, jocks who want him murdered. And then, you know, uh, two timing floozies, uh, like straight out of a thirties noir. Um, but it is a fascinating watch. Uh, it is unique. It is a, I will say it's a singular vision because it, like I said, it's a straight noir from the thirties, uh, transferred to the two thousands. It's, it's just, it's really uh, crazy. And then the way they talk, the way he wrote the script, it's like poetry. It's beautiful. Um, you got like great, great character names, the pin tugger, <laughs> the brain dode, uh, I, it's super, I mean, I, I love Ryan Johnson's characters, names in all of his movies. Um, you know, the, when, when Brendan, uh, there's a couple scenes that take place at this, uh, tunnel, like in the ditch where, where the body was discovered. And it's obviously straight out of Bong Joon-ho's, uh, memories of murder, uh, which was really cool to see. Uh, and, oh, so like going back to the dialogue real quick, like, uh, for instance, um, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt says 
<laughs> something to uh, the brain, who is kind of his, you know, computer whiz, geeky friend. Uh, he goes, I've got knives in my eyes and I'm going home sick. Uh, <laughs> so like, you know, the, the first time I watched, it, I was like, what the, what the this, these like pretentious <laughs> idiots. Yeah. Uh, but this time I'm watching it and like, I'm, I'm way into like classic noir at this point in my life. And I'm like, oh, it's so good. It's such good writing. Um, and then <laughs> the other thing. I still hate all of these kids because they're just rich California spoiled pretentious uh, uh, jerks, <laughs> all of them. Uh-huh. Uh, but I mean, the movie's so good. I love this movie. Uh, I assume you love it too, since you uh, gave it to me. I do, I do. I uh, <laughs> yeah, all the movies I, I gave you, I definitely are movies I love, and I that's kind of like my thinking when I when I've given you stuff is like I want to talk about these on the podcast but I don't know if there are full episodes worth of stuff. So sure. it's like, so I'm like, let me give this answer. We can see go on the podcast. So yeah, brick is a movie that I found back on cable, like probably, you know, maybe a year after it came out to six or maybe it was five, but it was like, I was 18, 19 years old. So I thought it was like super cool. I'm like, Oh, this is indie filmmaking. <laughs> you know, I'm like in my real, like, you know, film school phase. And I just think, and it, it felt very special at the time because it was a movie that, I don't think it got a theatrical release. I, I didn't check on that, but, or if it did, it was super limited, but so like no one knew about it. And I didn't know, I, I turned on TV and like, I was kind of like, he was like, what the hell is this? What's going on? Cause I recognize that the kind of language they're using, the way they're talking is to most anybody, this is like, Oh, if you didn't know anything, this is an old detective movie. It's a lot right. of like, Hey, bad dame, you know, it's a lot of, like, <laughs> yeah. which I'm, which I love for some reason. Like I've yeah, always yeah. loved that film noir way of talking, which is, mine's kind of exaggerated, but it's like, I sure. should watch more film noirs, but, um, but this one, I was you got. I think it's more you got to get on its wavelength, or you're not going to be into it. Because if oh, you don't, sure. if you don't get on board with with what Ryan Johnson's doing, the way everyone's talking, and it's like everybody basically talks like that. It's not just like Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Every character is doing this kind of thing, the fast talking, film noir dialogue, and I just was so interested because I was like, what is this movie? I've never heard of it. Uh, you know, I'm like, why are they talking like this? But I was completely drawn into it, like. It, yeah, it's it's pretty great. The way it's shot is, I just love the way it looks. It's kind of got this like the whole time. I feel like it's like very overcast. Yeah, kind yeah. Of. oh yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's gray and like this bluish gray uh, tint to the whole you know colorizing uh, that he did in post. Yeah, it's it's really really interesting uh, to look at even. Yeah, it, everyone has these little like yeah noir nicknames. I feel like it's like oh there's the brain and you know there's yeah. the pin and like and. Uh, I do still love that. So he kind of keep it's it's Joseph Ward Levitt kind of gets into this little investigation and but then they keep breaks the illusion of like, yeah, these are still high school kids because like at one point the pin who's like this supposed to be this big drug dealer in town, his mom still like he's at his mom's house. And she still yeah. serves him food, you know, it's like, yeah. <laughs> and she calls it by his real name or whatever. And it's like, you know, it's so there's this little these kind of moments where you're like, oh, yeah, these are still high school kids who do live in the real world. But <laughs> it's such an interesting movie. And now, yeah, I know more about Ryan Johnson, and how much he loves yeah, mysteries and noirs and all these things. And yeah, I, I had not watched it in a long time, too. This is a good excuse for me to rewatch it. And I still really like it. I don't I don't love it like I used to love it. I used to because I used to kind of be. I don't know. I think it felt special to me because I was like, oh, I discovered this movie brick and no one knows about sure. it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I still really, really like it, though. It's it's so interesting. And I like I said, I think people would like it if they know kind of what they're getting into going in. But if you kind of walk into it 
you might not get it. It might be like, what the hell's going on here? Oh yeah. Th- I mean, that's, that, that's how I felt the first time I watched it. Um, and I, you know, I still appreciated it, but, uh, this time around I loved it. And like, I was convinced, uh, I, you know, I, I need to get that Kino Lorber Blu-ray now. Uh, cause it's definitely a movie that I would go back to over and over again. Um, okay. So we have a neo-noir, like a neo-neo-noir. <laughs> Uh, and so I started thinking, you know, uh, private detective, uh, noir type of thing. So I considered, uh, another, uh, I consider this a masterpiece. Other people consider it trash. I'd love to get your thoughts on it. Just <laughs> let's talk about it just for a second under the silver lake. What are your thoughts? <laughs> uh, I've seen it. Uh, I don't know what to make of it. I, I didn't really like it that much. I okay. think I think our friend Lindsay Wilkins, I think she I think she did a show on it right away or she's like a fan of it. I don't remember. I almost feel like something she said about maybe you think I should revisit it or I honestly kind of found it like pretentious in a way where I was just like, what sure. the fuck is this? Like, of course, it's interesting because I didn't know what the hell was going on. But it, and it kind of felt like uh, I hate to insult it. But to me, I was like, this kind of feels like someone trying to do like a a bit of a David Lynch thing and they're not oh, quite 100%. I mean, it's yeah, it, I mean, it's, you know, it's Mulholland drive. Uh, but you know, if, <laughs> if, if there ever was a blank Trek movie, uh, from, uh, David Robert Mitchell, this is it, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, with his, like his follow-up to the hit, it follows. He gives us this. And like, so many people were like, what the fuck is this? Uh, I watched it. And then I watched it again, back to back, like in the same day. Oh, and wow. it's a long ass movie. It's like two and a half hours long. Oh yeah. That was the other thing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's a masterpiece. I love it. Anyways, I, that's not the movie I went with. So I, I, I also considered like the third man vertigo night moves, uh, Chinatown, you know, that type of stuff. Uh, ultimately I had to go with a movie from Danny's books. Uh, <laughs> Robert Altman's the long goodbye from 1973. Um, course starring elliot gould uh and you know i love it that it's written by lee brackett uh who you know she wrote empire strikes back she uh, worked with howard hawks on you know real lobo el dorado real bravo um it's of course based off of uh the raymond chandler novels um but uh elliot gould plays uh this private detective called philip marlowe and the film opens with uh his friend like showing up unannounced and begging Marlowe to drive him to Tijuana. And so after he does so, he discovers his friend is accused of like uh, murdering his wife. So then he's hired by this beautiful woman to find her missing author husband. And along the way, kind of gets mixed up in crimes and murders he had nothing to do with. And you meet, you know, interesting characters just like uh, in Brick. Uh, I love this movie. I want to live in this movie. Um, you know, I love where Elliot Gould lives. He lives in like the ultimate bachelor pad atop this like weird tower thing. And then across the way is like this commune of like hippie women, uh, who are always topless and like, you know, smoking reefer and stuff. Um, he plays this cool game, uh, that I, I wish I had a friend that I could do this with, uh, where he like, they bet on, serial numbers on dollar bills i don't really get it i just think it's cool um he's never without a cigarette i can't believe how much and in elliot gould 
uh, never inhaled. You could see, you could watch. He doesn't inhale because he smokes. I mean, he always has a cigarette uh, in his hand or his mouth in this movie. It's crazy. Um, and then the other thing, I love Robert Altman movies uh, because they seem like these weird-ass dreams. Not like a David Lynch weird-ass dream, but, uh, you know, he always, you know, he, a lot of times he films with, uh, you know, like, uh, um, oh, I can't even remember what you call it, but, you know, kind of cloudy, foggy, uh, rub some Vaseline on the lens type of thing. Um, and so, like, you feel like you're in uh, this dream state already because of that. Uh, but then, you know, he fills his movies with the most interesting characters. And then he gets, of course, the most interesting character actors to participate. And, you know, I love there isn't a, an Altman movie that I hate. Uh, I've loved every Altman movie I see. And uh, anyways, have you seen The Long Goodbye, Matt? Oh, man, I feel bad because <laughs> The Long Goodbye has been on my radar on my watch list for what feels like the longest time. And I think I've almost like watched it multiple times i know i've been close uh so that that doesn't blow your mind i don't i'm pretty sure i've never seen a single robert altman movie Ooh, <laughs> start here start Let's here say, okay i was like, if you want to leave now i get it. no but then i just looked at my watch list i've got literally i went to his imdb page i've got like over 10 altman movies that i've checked to watch at some point so clearly i've got to jump into robert altman at, at some point so yeah this sounds like the place i should start well the, the other thing with altman is uh some people don't like his movies and I get it because they're again, like the surreality of all of his films, uh, kind of throws people off, uh, or rubs people the wrong way. And, you know, they're not filled, uh, with, you know, super likable characters all the time. Um, you know, a, a lot of people are like, Oh yeah, Popeye, which I've actually never seen. Uh, and it sounds like Popeye is not the movie you want to start with for Altman. That's <laughs> uh -huh. that's sort of the the outlier. Like, you know, start with The Long Goodbye or start with, uh, you know, Come Back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean, or, you know, Three Women, whatever. Um, uh, but, yeah, so, but I love private detective movies. I mean, you know, I'm uh, I'm an 80s cop guy. But, uh, you know, if, if I ever, uh, one, get this book out, uh, two, I would follow it up with a book of private detective movies. Cause I, God, I, and the thing is like, I, you always think to yourself, or maybe it's just me. I always think to myself, I would love to be a PI until I watch a private detective movie. And I'm like, Oh my <laughs> God, like it's so dangerous and scary. <laughs> like, and I'm not good. Like I'm not a people person at all. And I can't dig, like, I don't want to, you know, um, force my way into situations. Ugh. Uh, so it's, you know, it's, it's a fun dream to have, but then you watch these movies and you're like, Holy crap, I could never do something like this. Crazy. <laughs> Funny enough. I, I know I kind of thought the same thing when I was a little kid, I kind of wanted to be a detective is what I thought. And then the more movies you watch, like, Oh no, I could get beat up or shot. I don't think I want to do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, like, <laughs> Like Bored to Death is one of my favorite TV shows and it's a crime that it only lasted three seasons. But like that's sort of the, you know, Jonathan Ames, uh, you know, is like an uber nerd and he's like, oh, I'm bored. I'm going to try this. And then like he gets himself into these awful situations and I'm like, yeah, see, that's why you don't do these things. So, you know, uh, you know, it, they make for great stories and movies, of course.
<laughs> yes, they I, I do. I really like them, too. So I really I really need to see Long Goodbye. I can't tell you how many times I think I've been right there about to watch it. And then for some reason, I didn't watch it. I can't tell you why. But um, yeah, no, I've heard nothing but good things. And I, I really need to see it now. <laughs> Yeah, it's, you know, I didn't see it for the first time till last year. And it was like you, it was always on, you know, I have to see this movie. I have to see this movie for years and years and years. Uh, and then I finally did. And I'm like, oh, good Lord. This is like the best Altman, my favorite Altman, at least not maybe not the best, but uh, God, it's so rewatchable. And and like when I say I want to live in this movie, uh, Matt, you, watch it and and you'll I, I know you'll get it. Uh, like it's just it's a great LA movie you know from the 70s it, it's just man it, it's got a it's got a feeling to it these are all things that I like uh 70s LA <laughs> private detective movie I a noir yeah I, it's oh man yeah I've, I've really got to watch it um no that's a, that's a good pairing I, I think I read somewhere that that Ryan Johnson was like a, that was an influence on Brick I may be making this up but I feel like Long Goodbye was definitely one of the movies that influence brick if i saw that somewhere oh i'm sure yeah i mean you could totally see the influence in it man fantastic uh anything else in that before I, before I do mine no you go ahead oh okay uh so i will start let me see here i'll start with one it's the most recent one that you gave me uh it is a netflix original <laughs> uh called i don't feel at home in this world anymore <laughs> from 2017 <laughs> which is written directed by macon blair um so uh, I don't feel at home in this world anymore is about a woman named Ruth, played by Melanie Linsky, uh, whose life she's a nurse, I believe. And it's just her life is kind of it's not terrible. It's just kind of like nothing. It's kind of me. <laughs> and uh, then one day she gets robbed. Her house gets robbed. Um, she comes home and finds that her house is like in shambles. Stuff's been stolen um, and tries to go to the cops. They don't really help her because it's not a big enough deal to them. It's just like a laptop and. It's her grandmother's silverware and some other little things. And uh, so she but she kind of becomes determined to do this herself. She's like, I'm going to find my stuff. So um, she's going around asking about it. She meets up with her neighbor played by Elijah Wood. And he's kind of a weirdo <laughs> into like ninja weapons and uh, which I can I'm fine with because Elijah Wood, I think, in real life is kind of a weird guy. So uh, if he plays yeah. a weirdo, then I'm all for it. So <laughs> um, the two of them pair up. She finds her laptop and they track it somehow. And they find that at someone's house. And that kind of leads them. That begins a sequence of events where, okay, where'd you get the laptop from? Like some store. And they go there. It's like, then they go in this rabbit hole of, they kind of get in over their heads. <laughs> That's basically yeah, what happens. Sure. Uh, and I wouldn't want to say more because if people haven't seen it, um, it just, yeah, it's basically people who are trying to play detective and are way out of their depth at a certain point. Uh, it, it feels pretty grounded to me, honestly. Like it, it feels like, this is the real world. There's like the violence in it is like that kind of violence where it's like, Ooh, okay. That's what that would really look like if someone got like their hand shot off or something, you know, oh, it's like, for sure. Yeah. It yeah. hurts. It really, it's like the violence is painful. Um, it's kind of a weird, it's a, a black comedy, I guess with yeah. like a crime, you know, detective thing. Uh, I, I'd seen it once before when it first came out, I feel like there was, this is the problem with Netflix movies. <laughs> they come out they, the weekend they're out, they get like some buzz usually. And then they just fall into like, the depths of Netflix and it's like <laughs> they just live there, but then they, it's almost like you take it, you get something new and you throw it in the back of your closet after the first week and you never, it disappears. <laughs> like <laughs> I had this conversation with about um, the movie, uh, the night comes for us, which came out and got like no fanfare on Netflix. And it's like, one of the best action movies of the past decade. And now it's, I mean, it's good that it's there, but it's like, I feel like once it's there, Netflix is done with it. Cause we Netflix is all about like 
the newest and the hottest. They don't care. <laughs> I feel like they're done pushing stuff um, after a while. So I'm glad you brought it back to my radar because I liked it even more this time. Oh, good. I, I kind of knew where it was going to. I kind of was more on its wavelength with like the, the, the tones. It's not, it does a good job with the tones, but it's definitely a little weird. You don't know what you're expecting the first time. Um, I, I, I like it. It's uh, written directed by Macon Blair, I believe um, yep. who's been in lots of stuff over the past decade. But uh, well, I'm curious about, about your relationship with this movie because it's a newer movie. And I feel like you always tell people you're not that much in a newer movie. So I'm very curious about this. Yeah. Um, I, I think let's see here when this, when did this come out? Um, uh, 2017. Oh, 2017. Okay. So let's see. That was five, four years ago. I was doing a podcast. I watched it for a podcast. Oh, okay. Uh, back then. And, um, <clears throat> and <clears throat> excuse me back then, like I, I wasn't so, uh, not that I'm like anti new movie, but, uh, <laughs> for lack of a better term, like I, back then I wasn't so anti new movie. Um, and so I, I was trying to watch, like I, w- the thing with this podcast was like, we were talking about newer movies. So, you know, I, I watched it with a bunch of others and, uh, it really stuck out to me, uh, be- like, because like you said, those Netflix originals just they you know they float into the ether um (laughs) and like i've watched uh, so many really good netflix originals that nobody has ever heard of yeah um and i feel like this is one that might be it's not nobody's ever heard of but not many people have heard of it um and i i love macon blair you know he's you know uh, uh jeremy saulnier staple um and i love uh when they team up together but when when Macon is on his own, he uh, does some of the most interesting stuff. And so I love the script. It is, like you said, yeah, it's that pitch black comedy. And, um, you know, I love Melanie Linsky to death. Uh, Elijah Wood, of course, is great. And then, uh, you know, I we shouldn't talk about the bad guys because I think uh, that's that's a nice um like it goes to places you'd never know. Right. You, yeah. You, you never expect for it to go where it goes. Um, and when, you know, when we say uh, dark comedy, we mean pitch black, like it, <laughs> it gets real dark. Um, but you know, Macon Blair can still like, there's still that comedic tone, everything. Uh, but it's man, it is, uh, it's a trip. I love it. Yeah. I really liked that. I was glad I rewatched it. Cause it's, it's one of those things I probably wouldn't have gone back to it unless you, put it right. on my radar for this. So, oh, good. and yeah, it was, it was great. I think everyone should go check. If you missed it when the first, when he first came out, go on Netflix, it'll be there forever. I assume. And, uh, yep. and watch it. It's very interesting. Um, so, okay. So pair that I, I almost went, I was very close to doing this pairing and then something swooped in last minute and, and took it. But I, I wasn't super happy with this because it almost felt too, too close. I was going to go with blue ruin, which is, okay. uh, Jeremy Saulnier film starring yeah. Macon Blair, <laughs> yeah. um, which is kind of about someone trying to get revenge and that he kind of gets in over his head and it kind of feels for like they're in the same world. Those movies like yeah. <laughs> So I didn't I was almost there. But then <laughs> out of nowhere, inspired by the recent Pure Cinema podcast on David Lynch, I went with another bl- Blue Velvet oh nice lynch because I was like, oh, it like hit like I was like, yes, perfect, because all about Kyle McLaughlin trying to do an investigation, getting in way over his head. <laughs> and it goes to some really fucked up places you wouldn't expect if you've never seen it before. <laughs> um, and I was like, oh, and they kind of also feel to me like this kind of feels the same where it's like 
yeah, it's it feels like a real type world, but you go into these corners of this that really dark corners where you're like, oh, you know, I shouldn't have played detective here, you know. <laughs> it's like, and uh, and I just, I mean, I love Blue Velvet. Is it's I think it's fantastic. Um, so yeah, if you don't know, Kyle McLaughlin plays a college student named Jeffrey, finds a severed ear in a field, and he goes on this investigation. Uh, and yes, quickly gets in over his head, <laughs> um, and thinks it'll be like a fun time. And it is not because he runs into, uh, Dennis Hopper as Frank Booth, who I still maintain is one of the scariest movie characters <laughs> of all time, because he feels so, so unhinged, so dangerous in a way that's like not a, uh, doesn't, I mean, he's, he's over the top, but it feels like, oh, I could meet this kind of crazy guy. In oh, a way, for like, sure. Yeah, it's like, he's terrifying. It's like, this guy's completely out of his mind, and you have no idea what he's going to do. Um, and yeah, I just, I, when I, when I, when they brought up Blue Velvet again, I was still thinking of this pairing. I was like, oh my God, Blue Velvet, and I don't feel at home in this world anymore. I think you could, if you do any real double, I think you play Blue Velvet, Blue Velvet first, and you play Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore, and you've got mm -hmm. yourself a nice double, because um, you've got basically people just go on investigations and think it'll be nice and easy and it is not is not like that at all so um yeah that's that's one with that I'm, I'm assuming you've seen blue velvet <laughs> i okay so here's a real okay. quick story uh my mom when i started to express interest in movies i think probably um you know either in high school or right after high school like i, I wanted to start watching you know not not the main stuff um, she said, Oh, you want to watch something weird? Let's go rent blue velvet. So my mom <laughs> took me to, you know, block or wherever it was, maybe it was blockbuster, wherever. And she rented, we rented blue velvet and we came home. It was like a Sunday afternoon and we sat and watched blue velvet. And she was, and she's not even like, she's not a big cinephile. Uh, she's not like, she doesn't like David Lynch movies. Uh, but this was, I don't even think she likes blue velvet, but it was one that, <laughs> that she knew was different and anyway so she's the one that introduces to me on a sunday afternoon and she's probably watching me more than uh you know watching the movie and i was like what what the hell is this um and i loved it it, it no 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 i didn't love it i thought it was interesting but it's it sticks with you and so when I came back to watch it again a couple years later, I mean, I was like, my mind was blown, just completely blown. I loved this movie. And so it's one that I uh, revisit often. Um, I, I totally agree with you. Frank Booth is one of the scariest characters of all time. Um, yeah. Heineken, fuck that shit. Uh, <laughs> I, I've met people like Frank Booth, and they are absolutely terrifying, um, completely unhinged. And, you know, these these people are real. And I think that's the thing about uh, David Lynch. His movies talk about, you know, Altman being surreal. David Lynch writes <laughs> surreal movies, but he writes real characters. These these fucking weirdos that he writes are like real life people. And so like like Frank Booth is uh, a real life scary person that I think everybody will come across at least once in their life. Um, but oh, God, it, it is man, it it's it's weird to say it but blue velvet is a comfort movie for me oh wow yeah no see that's why i almost felt weird when i said i love it because it's almost like a weird movie to say you love because there's some really ugly stuff in there especially some yeah. stuff that happens with isabella rossellini yeah uh and i feel so uncomfortable watching the movie with like anybody else i don't know if i ever watched it with another person <laughs> i think I, I by myself i think i'm uncomfortable i feel like one time 
I was watching it and I can't remember who even was like they heard like screaming and they were like I think my sister was in the same house as me and was like what are you watching all I hear is screaming I'm like just get out of here like just get out of here. <laughs> and I, it's, it makes me so uncomfortable but I mean I think it's I think it's just a great great movie I I don't know if I could say it's my favorite Lynch movie but um it's up there I don't know he's got a lot of movies that I love so um it, it's funny too because I feel like that really Blue Velvet does really kind of get to a lot of things about David Lynch where I feel like he's definitely into some weird stuff he's a very artistic guy he's into all these weird things but then he's also like very like americana like apple pie type guy it's it's such a weird pairing this this is why i think no one ever works when they try to copy david lynch because he's such a like unique strange person that it's like no one else is like that it's like he's just one of a kind so um and blue velvet really does that it's all about like jeffrey's living like the clean cut you know uh, suburbs but then there's this i mean there's even imagery in the movie with the whole like the the bugs beneath the surface and of the the nicely cut grass and all this stuff so it's like you know the dark corners of this this nice town he's in a small town but it's all this like fucked up stuff going on so um yeah it's uh, i really like blue velvet i uh i i just thought you know this made sense i was like and it was nice to rewatch it again because it'd been a little while but it's not a movie i revisit a lot either that's the other thing i kind of keep it like every few years or so you know (laughs) sure well okay so i want to uh point people in the direction of a uh, really short podcast series done by my friend bill ackerman um who he hosts a show called supporting characters but he did just a four episode series called from the neighborhood and he interviews people who worked on blue velvet oh Uh, so like yes like the you know props people makeup people an actor but like people who like were you know just in um uh where do they film in north carolina funny enough i went to school there for a little bit wilmington north carolina yeah yeah, wilmington yeah 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 i i and it was funny because i saw this after i'd been down there and i i did recognize some uh, some areas i was like oh i've driven by that's you know that area like um so yeah it's it's wilmington which they shoot a lot of stuff down there but yeah this was shot primarily in, in wilmington north carolina yeah. So, yeah, it, this podcast is called From the Neighborhood. Uh, it's just four quick episodes. Really interesting. Um, but, yeah, it's, man, there's something about this movie. I think um, this, oh, man, see, for me, for, for Lynch, it's either this or Mulholland Drive, which yeah. I really love, too. Um, but, you know, I Blue Velvet, for some reason, and it's probably that nostalgia thing with my mom, uh, is such a comfort movie. So I'd probably say Blue Velvet is, is my favorite Lynch movie. Those are my top two as well. I think I like Mulholland Drive a little more. Um, but yeah, it's hard. It's hard to pick. It's funny because out of his later stuff, this is one of his more like normal, straightforward movies, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> compared, yeah. To, compared to like Lost Highway, Mulholland Drive, and Inland Empire, especially. So yeah, that's uh, those are my top two as well. So those, I mean, he's oh, got cool. a lot of great ones. So yeah. Um, yeah, so that, that was my pairing for the first one. So that's all I got. <laughs> that's a great, I love that double. Um, okay, so next up, you gave me Greta Gerwig's Lady Bird from 2017. Uh, another new movie, and I have seen this multiple times. I saw this in the theater, Matt, believe it or not. Oh, me too, um, I, when I go see it, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I went and saw it by myself. And uh, at our Alamo draft house, and I usually sit in the same uh, seat 
or aisle uh, every time. And it's it's like third row up and like the first seat on the aisle just because I like, I don't know, I, I feel safer there. Anyways, so I'm sitting there. Uh, I'm watching this movie. I'm by myself. Uh, and so uh, this woman who is maybe a little, maybe five or ten years older than me, um, you know, maybe she's 45 or 50. Um, she is one seat away from me. There's one seat separating us. She's by herself as well. So we're watching this, you know, uh, people are laughing, people are having a good time. It's a really great movie. Uh, and then, you know, the end starts, you know, the movie starts to wrap up and I lose it. And I look over and the lady two seats down is losing it. And so uh, credits roll, lights come up. We stand up. She looks at me and she's like, hug. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and so like, I have no idea who this lady was, but we gave each other a hug because we watched this movie on our own. And like we, you know, we had were both sobbing hysterically. Anyways, I love this movie. Um, if you've never seen Lady Bird, it stars uh, Saoirse Ronan, Laurie Metcalf, Tracy Letts, Beanie Fieldstein, Lucas Hedges, Timothy Chalamet. Uh, you know, kind of uh, uh, this brought so many of these names to our attention, mm-hmm. especially those younger people, uh, Sir Sharon and Beanie Feldstein, Chalamet and Lucas Hedges um, is kind of this is the first that we really hear about them. Um, but uh, Sir Sharon plays his girl called Christine, uh, but she likes her name to be Ladybird, <laughs> And so she is an outspoken senior in high school who still like trying to, you know, find herself, her identity as all high school kids are. Um, her family is as middle class as it gets. She literally lives on the other side of the tracks, uh, with her domineering mother, her downtrodden father and moody older brother and his live in girlfriend. Uh, and so the film just kind of, uh, follows Lady Bird as she navigates her final year of high school with her best friend played by Beanie Fieldstein and then their friendship, you know, is ultimately tested. Uh, Lady Bird struggles to, you know, kind of um, discover herself through extracurricular activities, you know, like a drama or a, like she's in the uh, the fall play or the musical, um, you know, boys. She has sex for the first time, uh, new friends. Uh, it's a such a great coming of age movie. Now, I am with Chris Hurtado. Uh, I know he is a huge Greta Gerwig fan. I am also a huge Greta Gerwig fan. Um, To me, she can do no wrong. I love everything she acts in. I think she's hysterical. She's adorable. I think she is uh, such a terrific writer and director. Um, You know, I I feel like everything she touches uh, turns to gold. I love her to death. Uh, this cast is, you know, what she got out of this cast really blows my mind. Uh, everybody, there's not a single uh, bad or poor or subpar performance in this movie. It's it's crazy how uh, on everybody is. And um, and then it, it's a it's sort of semi autobiographical for Greta Gerwig. Uh, you know, it takes place in Sacramento, which is where she's from. And, you know, she kind of had a tumultuous, uh, relationship with her mom and yeah, you know, uh, it, it's, I, I don't know. I, I just, I, I love her to death. Uh, I love this movie. Uh, Matt, you love this movie. Yes. 
I absolutely love this movie. Yes. <laughs> and this was the one that I rewatched. And I said, oh, shit, we could have done a whole episode of this movie because I have so much to say about Lady Bird. <laughs> but oh, good. It, it's I I, I I I had I've only seen it, I think this was I, I, my third or fourth time. I maybe fourth. I know I went back to the theater. I saw in theater, too, because I think it was getting some buzz. Uh, and I went to uh, the theater by myself and saw it and was kind of blown away by it. And I think I went back and took other people. <laughs> uh, oh, I was cool. like, we got to go see Lady Bird. And yes, and watched it again this time. And it had been a little while. Um and uh, still loved it. Uh, it I, there's so much. I mean, I don't even know. It's like it was funny because I remember when I first saw it, I was like, is it weird that I'm like a 30 year old man relating so much to this tale of this like 17 year old <laughs> high school girl? But, yeah. Hello. <laughs> but but then I thought because uh, Greta Gerwig's only a couple years older than me and she sets this in like 2002, 2003, which is when I was also in high school. I didn't graduate to 05, but but I was in high school at the same time as this is set. And I think I relate to on that level. But it's funny because I don't really re relate to Lady Bird at all because, like, I didn't have this, like, uh, she's, like, really crying out to be an individual, I feel like, and find yep. herself. And, um, you know, she's kind of pretentious. <laughs> like, but, I mean, she's like a lot of teenagers. Like, they're just trying to figure out what they are interested in. I love yeah. that, like, she gets into something. And then this is very much like teenagers in high school. They can get into something because someone they have a crush on is into it. And the yep. minute that that doesn't work out, they're not interested anymore. <laughs> yes, my favorite things in the movie um, that she's like, I don't want to be in the plane anymore. I'm good. And like, <laughs> um, I love uh, Lori Metcalf's amazing in this movie Holy as crap. her mom. I'm still mad that she lost the Oscar. I know. She, I think she lost it to uh, Allison Janney for I, Tanya, who was very good. But I, yeah. Uh, listen, <laughs> I saw both of these movies that year. Uh, I really loved Allison Janney as uh, Tanya Harding's mother in that movie. She's terrific doesn't touch Laurie Mac Metcalf in this movie. It's crazy that, that Laurie <laughs> Metcalf didn't win. Yeah. I, I, this time I was like, I looked, I was like, no, she won. Right. And I looked, and I was like, no, she didn't win. How'd that happen? But, yeah. but, uh, yeah, I mean, Saoirse Ronan is great. Cause like you could, she could almost to some people, I think be unlikable, but I'm giving her a pass. I mean, she's a teenage girl for God's sake, like give her a pass. Like, you know, yeah. it's like, she, it's, she's not that bad. She's trying to figure stuff out. So, um, Oh man, Timothy Chalamet in this movie also cracks me up because he's such a pretentious douchebag. <laughs> like I lose it every time him and Lady Bird are sitting by like a pool at a party, and he says, "I don't know it verbatim, but he says something like to her, like, yeah, I don't believe in money. I'm trying to get by on the barter system.' <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, like what? You know, he's like a real know-it-all. Like he's like talking about how cell phones will track people, which I guess he's probably is right about in the future, but, you know, um, but still he's just got all these like, you know, big ideas and he thinks he's like really hot shit. You could tell. And he's just, I mean, it's just hilarious to me. Cause you're just like, Oh God, you're so up your own ass. But, um, <laughs> it just, there's a whole, there's a couple subplots that like really pay off beautifully. I was kind mm. of blown away by, ah, I don't know what to say about it. There's this one subplot with a priest uh, who's kind of leading their drama class. And it's almost like a story that goes on in the background. <laughs> um, if you know what I'm talking about, where they kind of mention something the first time you see this priest about like, I think he had a son that killed himself yep. and they're kind of like, it's a rumor they don't know. And then you see him again and like they kind of, and then you see him like this last time and he's like just crying by himself. And yeah. it's this like little side story that like pays off, you know, by itself. And it's like not really, it's you know it's just like a little subplot but i think it's so beautiful and there's a whole thing with a guy that lady bird is dating at first and something that happens with him and <laughs> and and it's funny if and then it gets like really 
emotional. Uh, yeah. I don't want to say what it is, but yeah, it's when, a, when they're out in the alley together, yes, it is super in, emotional. Yeah, so that I think that part almost got me to cry. And then like the ending is so uh, it's this because between Lady Bird and her mom, this whole relationship, another thing I couldn't relate to is me and my mom get along great. But I right. think girls and their moms have usually like a different dynamic. But yeah, um, but they 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 bicker a lot. They fight. But at the end, it's like this very emotional thing, you know, with she writes Lady Bird a letter. And it's just I, I don't want to go give too much away. If the, It's on Netflix, too, as well. Um, yep. And uh, it just is so nice and so beautiful. And the movie just feels to me like it's it feels like I don't know how to describe it. It, it feels real to me. Like it, it, everything feels kind of the way that they live. Like you said, they're like very middle class, like wrong side of the tracks. I'm like, oh, thank God, a movie that like shows a family that's like kind of lower middle class and it's like pretty realistic, you know, it's right. like, that's nice. Um, and I don't know. I just feel like the emotions feel so genuine and so real in this movie. And I just, I absolutely love it. I think it's, it's funny. It's, uh, it's sweet. It's, but it's sad at times. It's, it's just, it's great. I, I really do love it. Um, yeah, I don't know what I'll say about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, so it's really funny. I had been, Saving it for my wife because uh, she really wanted to watch it. And so I said, OK, are you ready to uh, watch Lady Bird? It's going to destroy you. And she said, OK, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm I'll mentally prepare myself. And so uh, we come to find it or come to watch it the other night. And uh, here I am, like, just, you know, I I'm a mess. I'm a, you know, snotty, slobbery mess. And I look over like she's stone faced. And I'm like, what? What? <laughs> do you hate this movie? What's going on? And she's like, Oh no, I love this movie. Uh, um, <laughs> but fuck her mom. I was like, Oh, like, so like, <laughs> I mean, I think that's a one, a, uh, you know, my wife went through that. She, she mm -hmm. also has a tumultuous relationship with her mom. Um, but you know, being a, you know, a daughter mom relationship is completely different than a, a, uh, son mom right, right. relationship. Like you said, um, and so I just loved how, uh, she and I walked away from this movie with completely different perspectives. We both loved it, uh, loved this movie equally. Um, but you, Bobby just, uh, sees it differently. So I, I think that's really interesting. And, you know, I think that's a, the cool thing about, uh, Greta Gerwig, like, uh, I know Noah Baumbach directed it, but, uh, Francis Ha, you know, she wrote uh, most of the screenplay with him. And, you know, of course, she goes back to Sacramento in that movie with her real parents. Uh, they film her with her real family. Um, and but like that, uh, Francis Ha is one of my favorite movies of all time because it feels so real. Like, yeah, she's living in New York City, but she's barely living in New York City. And then like she ends up having to go back, uh, you know, to her family for a few weeks over Christmas because like she has nowhere to live. Um, <laughs> and I, you know, I I just I, I love that about her. Uh, she's able to trans and, you know, it doesn't work uh, for for many people, I feel like. But when Greta Gerwig does it, she can translate uh, real life things onto screen, like not real, like big things, just normal life. She can translate that onto screen and have it play authentically. And I love that about her. And so that's, that's how I feel about Lady Bird. Like it's such a, it just feels authentic. We are looking in on this real family, you know? 
Yeah, I agree 100%. I, uh, and it's funny about how she thought the mom was a bad person. Cause I, I think the movie does a good job of uh, kind of letting you see both or seeing where each character is coming from. Like, because they both kind of act awful at certain points <laughs> to oh, each other, yeah. Lady Bird and her mom. And they're kind of, but like, she's a teenage girl going to the set, but her mom is just trying to. Her mom's like under a lot of stress because like her stuff with like Lady Bird's dad's job is like very much in the uh, question. Or also, her dad is great by the way. I could imagine her dad is like Tracy my, Letts, my, yeah. yes, one of my favorite characters. He's such. It's kind of a typical like, oh, I'm the nice guy. Dad doesn't want to fight, but he's like the little stuff he does for her is so great. Um, yeah. But yeah, you can see I think both sides. I, this time I really thought like, okay, I see where both Lady Bird and her mom are coming from, uh, why they're kind of acting the way they are. And I think it resolves pretty well. So um, that is interesting, though. There's going to also walk away from it with a very different perspective. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, you know, there's that scene where Lady uh, they're prom dress shopping and mm-hmm. uh, Lady Bird comes out. She's she's wearing uh, that pink dress and it's super cute. She looks so good in it. And she goes back into the dressing room and her mom goes, isn't it? Don't you think it's a little too pink? <laughs> and then Lady Bird says, like, from the dressing room, like, why can't you ever say anything nice to me? And then Lori Metcalf just got, I mean, she's a fucking master in this movie, <laughs> but she lets it sit for a second. And she goes, I don't know. And so you're like, God, she even knows she's being a bitch. And right. <laughs> again, I, I, you know, as a father, I, I can't relate to, uh, uh, you know, my wife with our boys or like, uh, or my wife's mom and, and her relationship, um, and so, yeah, I, I just I, I think it's really interesting how how it can play differently. I, I it sounds like you and I kind of got the same uh, feeling uh, walking away from this movie. So, I, you know, it, it's it's interesting in that sort of way. Yeah. Yeah. I was glad I was glad you liked it. I'm glad you already seen it. It was funny because this time I gave you a couple of newer things and I thought, oh, I'm going to give Anthony some new stuff to watch. And you'd seen, <laughs> I think, everything I gave you. <laughs> yeah. But I tried. I, that's the other thing I kind of do is I try to slip you some newer stuff. And uh, and if you haven't seen it, I'm like, maybe he'll like this. I, I, I almost did something. I got to tell you right now. I almost did something to do this time that I <laughs> that I pulled back on. Uh, I almost gave you a comic book movie. You son of a bitch. <laughs> you son of a bitch. It was one that I thought you might. Listen, I, you've said something in a it's somewhere that made me think, oh, he really doesn't like comic book movies even more than I thought. Yes, I won't do this. I almost gave you the first Captain America movie with Chris Evans because because it's it's very much apart from the rest of the MCU, and it's very much like a you know it is still super. It's like a World War II adventure movie, and I feel like it's distant enough. I almost gave you that one, but I I pulled it back. But I was like, maybe he'd like Captain America: First Avenger. I don't know, but um, I just had to tell you that. I forgot to tell you. That. <laughs> but, oh my god! But, okay, that's so funny because like when when I tell people, uh, and I I have nothing against comic book movies. You know, I, I've seen a handful of them. Um, they're totally fine. They're just so not for me. Like I'm just not into right. them. Um, and so like when I tell people that most people are like, what, how can you not like, how can you not be into these movies? And I'm like, I, I they're just not for me people. I, I just don't know what to tell you, but almost always that person will come back and say, yeah, but what about this movie? No, <laughs> why? What is it specifically about these movies? I don't know. They're just not for me. Believe me, I'm not going to like them. Um, you know, uh, which is funny because I, I really like Doctor Strange. Do I oh. want to watch it again on my own? No, but, you know, I, I, I dug that one. 
Yeah, that's okay. No, I just, I, and I, you would never tell us like, hey, stop liking superhero movies. No, <laughs> you know, right. You're not against anyone liking them. Um, I get it. It's like if, you know, I, I hate like seafood. Across the board, I don't like any seafood. So people keep trying to push like, they're like, try shrimp, try lobster, try tuna. I'm like, no, I don't want any part of any of it. Stop trying to push it on me. And it's, it's just a taste thing. It's like, I just don't like it. So exactly from that perspective, I get it. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's certain, like, I've still, and I think it's known in this podcast this at this point that I am just not a musical guy. Um, I'm open to them at this point. Like, I, I've matured enough that I will, like, if someone was, you know, I, I would watch, like, Sing in the Rain. I still haven't seen Sing in the Rain because I've heard it's great. But I don't think it's ever going to be my thing but right. i love the people love them that's trade i just think yeah. it's just not my my thing so yeah but yeah. i get it but i had to tell you i was very close to doing that i said i won't i won't give him captain america I'll, just, <laughs> I'll give him something else i'll give you the third pick you're gonna say is the one i swapped in so i think that worked out pretty oh, well cool. yeah definitely okay so uh we had ladybird uh which i love um and so i you know i think the obvious direction to go is high school and so i thought uh the first thing that came to my mind was american graffiti um which i love that movie uh but then you uh, have super bad which i also love oh, uh-huh. book book smart <laughs> uh which i don't love but it's a great beanie fieldstein performance uh the graduate which is a perfect movie pretty in pink which i love Ultimately, though, I went with um, so Lady Bird is like a white, 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 super white movie <laughs> full of that, all the white people. All the is, white people are in Lady Bird. <laughs> so I went with uh, not white people and uh, I went to 1975 with Michael Schultz's Cooley High. Before I get into it, have you seen Cooley High? I've never even heard of this movie. No, I've okay. never even heard of it, yeah. <laughs> okay, Cooley High is... Okay, so it was written by a guy called Eric Monty, who uh, was the creator of Good Times. Um, and Michael Schultz uh, directs a ton of modern TV, like tons of stuff for Warner Brothers. So like he did a bunch of like Arrow, uh, t- you know, the, the Arrow or whatever that TV show is. Uh, but he also directed like Car Wash. He did. He directed uh, Carbon Copy, um, and so this stars Glenn Glenn Turman and Lawrence Hilton Jacobs, and these uh, again two guys you wouldn't know them by name, but you know them by looks. Uh, so Cooley High is set in the mid '60s, and it follows two friends called Preach and Coaches as they kind of just navigate their lives. Uh, through high school, they're seniors. They're living in Chicago. Uh, Preach is a writer and a poet who dreams of he wants to move to Hollywood after high school. Coaches is like a star basketball player who plans to uh, go pro after college. And so, like, you know, he's gotten scholarships and everything. And, you know, his future seems set for him. Um, and then uh, along with their friends, uh, you know, they skip school. They get in trouble. They go to parties. They, you know, try uh, as they might to get laid, uh, get into all sorts of trouble, uh, that, you know, typical high school boys living in the inner city would normally get into. Now, here's the interesting thing. It's an AIP picture, uh, which, you know, AIP normally known for like just cranking out, you know, cheap kind Mm of, uh, genre cheesy fare, right? Right. Uh, this is Cooley High, uh, and I, I, I've read nothing on it, but I assume Boys in the Hood is 
almost a remake of Cooley High. Oh, okay. Um, so, and Boys in the Hood, of course, I think is another masterpiece. I love that movie. Saw that, you know, back in the early 90s, way before I saw Cooley High. Yeah, and I've I saw, seen Boys in the Hood, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, I saw, so I saw Cooley High for the first time uh, last year, two years ago, um, and loved it. You will be absolutely destroyed, um, you know, uh, saying that it's, you know, kind of uh, the proto Boys oh, in the Hood. Uh-huh. This is you why know. I don't watch Boys in the Hood that much, because it really bums me out. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's super sad. Um, this, so this is a comedy. It's a straight-up comedy. Okay. And so, it, it, you know, it's not going to hit. When, when the sad happens, it's not going to hit as hard as it does in Boys in the Hood, because, you know, Boys in the Hood is almost all sad, it seems like. Uh, but Cooley High is so funny. It is so fun. You love these two guys, uh, Coaches and Preach. And, you know, it's I I love movies from the 70s. And, uh, you know, it's a great Chicago movie because it's filmed on location. Um, and so, you know, we're on, you know, the near north side. We're on the east side, uh, you know, Cabrini Green territory in the seventies. So it hasn't gotten to Cabrini green. Hasn't gotten to, uh, the projects that, you know, of like Candyman oh, okay. uh-huh. in the, in the eighties and nineties. Um, it's getting there though. Uh, but it, it's just, it's such a fun, funny, touching movie. And, uh, I, I cannot recommend it, uh, highly enough. You can watch it free on YouTube. Uh, not like, you know, uh, illegally, but it, you know, YouTube has movies that you can watch. They say with ads, but they never play ads in them. Oh, that's good. <laughs> um, so yeah, you can watch them for free on, on YouTube. There's a Blu-ray of it you could get. Uh, but I absolutely, uh, out of all the movies I'm talking about tonight, uh, Cooley high is the one that I recommend the most out of all six of the movies that I'm talking about. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I just, I just, uh, went on IMDb and add to my list and it looks like it's on prime right now for free. Yeah. Uh, through, I think through IMDb TV oh, type yeah, of yeah. thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. That, no, that sounds really good. I'm, I'm definitely an add to my list and, and watch that at some point. Cause I've never, yeah, I haven't even heard of it. So yeah, no, it sounds, it sounds pretty great. Perfect. Um, uh, anything else on that one? Nope. Okay. Uh, okay. So next I will go back here with, so, so I was joking about I'm trying to give you newer movies. I appreciate you give me a much older movie uh, from 1934. You find I finally saw It Happened One Night by Frank Capra. Oh, by Frank Capra. nice! <laughs> Never seen it before. A huge, you know, blind spot for me. I'd heard about it for years. Um, realized as I was watching it, oh, I've seen scenes from this movie yep. uh specifically the hitchhiking scene yeah <laughs> i was like oh i've seen this somewhere i don't know where i saw it but um but yeah this uh was wonderful it was so funny so charming oh, uh clark gable and claudette colbert uh yep. i believe so, yeah are fantastic together um so if anyone doesn't know like me if you don't know it's like uh so claudette colbert plays an heiress uh who's eloped with a guy who her father doesn't approve of because he thinks the guy just wants their money. So they're down in Florida on a boat and she literally jumps off the boat beginning of the, in the first time it's the movie. I'm like, holy shit, this woman just jumps off a boat in like a nice dress, <laughs> jumps the ship uh, and is trying to get back to New York City to get back to the guy she's eloped with and, you know, gets on like a bus, I believe, right away. And she meets up this recently fired newspaper reporter played by Clark Gable 
who agrees to help her get to New York if she gives him the exclusive on her story. And if she doesn't, he'll just call her dad and tell uh, him where she's at. So they go on this like adventure, you know, up the East Coast together, get back to New York. Uh, all kinds of wacky things happen throughout, <laughs> you know, they get, they get left behind by the bus. They get, you know, all kinds of things happen. They have to hitchhike at one point, like I kind of mentioned. Um, and I wouldn't go into like every single detail of what happens, but I was blown away that this is basically the blueprint for every romantic comedy yep. since I yep. was like, wow, this is every romantic comedy I've ever seen, but somehow still felt like very fresh to fresh. me. Yes. yes totally. Yes. Good. Crazy. I was like, what, how is this possible? Yep. And I, I didn't know this because I had thought, Hmm, I feel like they're getting away with a lot for 1934, some racy stuff. And this yeah. was, I found out one of the very last pre code movies, Yep. which I was like, Oh, well that makes perfect sense. <laughs> Cause, um, yeah, it, so I, I, yeah, I don't even know what to say. I, it's one of those movies. I'm like, I'm like, thank God I finally watched this because it's just, I look at my listen times and there's like just these like classics on there that I'm like, I've got to, I've got to watch this. And this was definitely one of those. And, um, yeah, it's just so great. And Clark Gable's a guy that I feel like I've even I've barely even seen him any in anything. And yeah. I've always thought of him as like just like very stiff, old timey Hollywood, you know, yeah. like but he's gone, so, gone with the wind. Exactly. And I've never even seen the whole movie, but I've seen clips and I'm just right. like, that's why I think it was Clark Gable. This was very different. I uh he's very funny in this. Uh, so funny. It's, it's like they're both really funny. Um it's they're such a good pair. Um, the hitchhiking scene's so funny. He's doing all this stuff. He's like telling her all these different ways. He's like, you put the thumb out like that, see? And then like, that's my yep. bad called Gable impression. And like, she's all these like different thumb techniques. And like, and then it's, I, I know I'd seen this. She walks over. Can't, he can't get a car that way. No one's stopping. She walks over and like shows her leg a little bit. And like a car stops immediately. <laughs> like, which I think is a scene. It's probably been at least like parodied also many times or, you know, um, right. It, it, yeah, I mean, it was so. Gr- I don't know what to say about it. It's so good. I'm, and I saw it like swept the Oscars that year of all the major categories. I'm like, of course, uh, <laughs> you know, I I feel st- people are probably like, yeah, it's a classic, Matt. We know. <laughs> so, well, yeah. I I don't I don't know if people do because again, you know, uh, I think so many people um, uh, tend to avoid like older older movies, you know, especially from the 30s. And like you said, this is, you know, I consider this to be the uh, OG romantic comedy. Uh, Every romantic comedy that you've seen, uh, you know, growing up, you know, from the 80s, 90s and today, uh, all owe it to It Happened One Night. I mean, of course, everything before, too. But It Happened One Night, like, created these uh the rom-com genre tropes that we know and love and i remember when uh again this i watched this for the first time for a podcast years ago and like we were doing a a show on road movies and this was one of them and i watched it and i was like holy shit what the (laughs) hell this thing it's uh, like when i think of a perfect movie it happened one night is a perfect movie and it's my favorite thing is uh frank capra is I, I don't think anybody creates worlds like Frank Capra can. Uh, so, for instance, like, you know, it, Frank Capra's biggest, you know, most well-known movie, it, uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, we know this town of Bedford Falls. Like, this is like uh, the little hamlet that we all dream about, that we all would love to live in. Um, 
but you watch his other movies uh, and, and this, It Happened One Night, is one of them where Frank Capra gets to create like uh, three or four different, you know, worlds like that, that little uh, you know, motor in the, the motel that they mm-hmm. stay in towards the end, uh, like is in itself uh, its own little world. And like when she has to go to the washroom and, you know, walk past everything, just everything Frank Capra uh, creates uh, just seems it seems like it comes from his heart. It seems so intentional. And uh, I mean, I love it in this movie. My God, this is another one that I could watch. Uh, I mean, three, four times a year. It's so good. Yeah. I, I was thinking to be very rewatchable. Like it's just it, 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 how charming they are, how funny it is. It's like, it flies by. It's very like light and breezy. It's I, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, so good i don't even know what it's one of those times i'm almost stumped because i'm like yeah this is just great like whenever i watch like a i go back and watch a classic movie uh and i and i think it's great too i'm just like yeah it's great guys i don't know what else to say like what else yeah, can right. i add to the discourse at this point but um if people like me have not checked it out uh i definitely recommend it, it doesn't it does not feel like it's from 1934 no That's it does not pretty hard to believe like um so yeah i mean it, it's available out there i think it has a criterion um yep. it's yeah, I'm glad I finally saw it. I don't know what else is. Thank, thank you so much for giving that uh, giving me that movie because, Great. yeah, I don't know when I would have got around to if you hadn't, you know, gave it to me. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah that, it's wonderful. And I got to be honest, though, I was very stumped on what to pair it with. So I kind of cheated on this, on this pairing. And I, I, I put out a lifeline. I asked our friend Daniel Epler for okay. advice. <laughs> I said, Daniel, you got to help me out. I'm stumped. Have you seen It Happened One Night? What can I pair it with? Uh, and he did give me quite a few, a few suggestions and they were both basically people falling in love while on an adventure movies. Oh, and, um, and he, the first one he said, and he said this was his top suggestion and it was a movie that I actually already owned because I blind brought the criterion a while ago, but hadn't watched it. 1986 is something wild by Jonathan Demme. Oh, okay. (laughs) Uh, which I'd never seen. So I was, and I was like, all right, I'll go, I'll go with Daniel's suggestion on this. Um, I really liked it. I'll say that. So basically it's, it's tonally, it's kind of, it's weird tonally and it's hard to talk about. I'm so glad. First of all, have you seen something wild? Sorry. <laughs> no, is this the, this is the Jeff Daniels, right? Yes. It's Jeff Daniels okay. at Melanie Griffith and they meet at this restaurant in New York city and he's like a uptight yuppie eighties businessman. <laughs> okay. And he like leaves the restaurant without paying. Uh, I think just cause I can't remember. I think he says it's just because it's no big deal or it's like I feel like it's like his little like thrill like it's you know it's like ooh, I went without pain like it's like how he gets a thrill and Melanie Griffith comes out and stops him and it's like why didn't you pay and then acts like she's works at the restaurant and then she's like I don't work there I just give you shit and then they, they hop in her car and they just leave New York City and go on this like adventure like she just like throws his pager out the window and then they go to this cheap motel I mean, and, you know, he says he has a wife and kids and like they kind of have this this fling and just like wild things start happening <laughs> like that. She's like so live by the moment, I feel like mm. her character. And um, they just go. I, it's really hard to talk about because I, I luckily had not had much told about this movie. I'd heard about it on podcast and they were always very careful to to not tip kind of the hand of what happens. It's It's almost like a movie of two halves. Like okay. the first half is this very like fun, uh, g- kind of wacky road adventure, 
and then it turns into something very not very, pretty different in the second half. And uh, I I had no idea where this movie was going. I love that when that happens. It was a movie yeah. where I literally thought I'm like 45 minutes into an almost two hour movie and like I don't know where it's going to end up or where it's going to go. Yeah. And but it did it did kind of feel like you could pair it with it happened one night. It's almost like a very modern what was modern when it came out in the 80s, but a very like modern day kind of like people going on adventure and kind of falling for each other under these kind of weird circumstances. Um, and if you haven't seen this, I really want to want to say more about where it goes, but I thought it was really, really good. Um, it's a very interesting movie. It's kind of like it got different tones, but like Jeff Daniels is really good. Melanie Griffith is really good. Um, random people pop like John Waters pops up as like a sleazy car salesman <laughs> like cool. uh, for like one scene. Like it's, it's so interesting. And I'm like, yeah, John Demi was a very interesting director who did all these different genres and different types of things. And, uh, I should watch more of his movies too, but it's, it's really good. I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, that's, that's all I'll say about it though. Say about it though. <laughs> so. Yeah. I, I remember. So, uh, another show that I used to do that, the neon badges, I, I was doing an episode on, uh, uh, Joe Carnahan's narc. And so, oh, uh-huh. uh, I, you know, I was doing research on Ray Liotta and this was like his second movie that he ever did. And he was nominated for a Golden Globe. That's when I first heard about this movie. Uh, and I still haven't seen it yet. And I need to rectify that immediately. Sounds like. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. Um, I think it might be streaming somewhere, but but uh, yeah, it's it's very interesting. And the less, you know, going in, I think the better, because it's one of those cool. movies you'll definitely be watching and going where is this going to go? Where's what's <laughs> going to happen? It's like, it, it's so nice when it happens for a movie for me where I'm like, I literally, and usually some you watch a movie, you can kind of guess the beats of where something's going to go. Right. No idea. Didn't know where this was going. Cool. <laughs> it's very cool. So, um, yeah, that's really all I had on that one. So, <laughs> yeah, I, man, so I, I didn't realize this was a criterion movie. That's crazy to me. Yeah. yeah like, like, I, did it just come out on Criterion? I think it's newer. I think it came okay. out within the past year or two okay. tops. I want to say, I think I bought it during a criteria. I only buy Criterions when they're at, like the Barnes and Noble sale or when yep. there's a website right. sale. And, uh, I'd heard enough good things. I think it was kind of hard to stream for a while. I, I there yeah. was a reason I blind bought it. It was like, and, uh, yeah. And I think it's a year or two old. It's a good Criterion. Um, cool. yeah, definitely check it out. I think it's kind of easily more available now. So, Definitely worth your time. <laughs> cool. Can't wait to see it. Okay, so my final movie that you gave me uh, is, you know, speaking of 80s cops, uh, one of my favorite 80s cops movies, Tango and Cash from 1989, uh, written by Randy Feldman, directed by uh, Andre Konchalovsky or Sylvester Stallone or, <laughs> or you know, Kurt Russell or Kurt Russell, whoever. Possibly, I heard, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's lots of hands in the pot here. I mean, listen, can you imagine trying to direct Sylvester Stallone and Kurt Russell in at the same time? No. In no, 1989? Yeah, yeah. No, it's not going to happen. I think I've heard Stallone was at like the height of his ego around that time. So, no, uh, I can't yeah. even fathom trying to to do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, if by chance you have not seen Tango and Cash, it's about two headline grabbing cops in uh, Los Angeles. Uh, and so they're going after the same criminal. Um, and before, uh, oh, they're, so, so they're, they're going after this guy uh, and they chase him into a warehouse and then they're set up uh, and they're framed for murder. They both go to prison. 
And so they have to, you know, kind of survive prison. Uh, all these guys that they, you know, put away, you know, for the past few years that they've been working. And um, so they escape prison and then Tangle and Cash try to track down this guy that framed them. And, uh, you know, they're trying to prove their innocence. So, uh, you know, I mean, it's there's nothing uh, difficult about the story here. This is a straight up like uh, popcorn action movie. And uh, so here's the funny thing. Back in whenever this came out on VHS, you know, 1990, 91, whenever it was, uh, we were at the video store. I can't remember if I was with my mom or my dad. I think it was my dad. Now, my dad was a um, pretty like uh, conservative guy, not like right wing conservative, like just, you know, he was. You know, he he didn't want to, he tried to shield his kids, his mm. sons, you know, from whatever, the horrors of the world and like, you know, <laughs> naughty things, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so we went to uh, the video store, uh, rented Tango and Cash, brought it back. And I remember sitting in our living room that night. Yeah, it was my dad. So it was all, you know, I think mom probably went out with her friends. And so dad... You got pizza, of course, and then, uh, you know, me and Andy, my brother, and he went up to the video store, rented movies. Tango and Cash was one of them. Now, my brother's three years younger than me. At this point, I would be, I don't know, let's say it's 1990, I would be eight. So I'm watching Tango and Cash when I'm eight years old, uh, <laughs> sitting in our living room, eating pizza, and, like, I I keep looking over at my dad, and, and like, he's, you know kind of shielding his eyes like looking at us oh. <laughs> i can i can tell he's regretting like i can't believe i'm letting my little children watch this fucking movie <laughs> uh but i mean eight years old are you kidding me i love this movie this is crazy right. i love it for an eight-year-old yeah <laughs> totally uh now my son is eight years old would i let my son uh watch tango and cash absolutely not <laughs> absolutely not uh, Die Hard now, like Die Hard was a huge thing. We rented that, um, and watched that a ton when it first came out on VHS, you know, in 1989 or whatever. Um, I, but Tango and Cash just seems a little, I, I don't know, it, it seems more exploitational, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's it's fun, you can tell these guys are having fun with it. Uh, you know, uh, uh, what's his name? Sylvester Stallone has that line at the beginning, he's like, Rambo's a pussy. <laughs> Um, ridiculous. Yeah. You know, or, or <laughs> I like it. I, I crack up every time, uh, they chase this guy into the warehouse and you see Cash's laser sight on his gun yeah. <laughs> with the cord sticking out, like plugged into the battery pack. It's this freaking gigantic, like bazooka looking thing. It's just a laser sight. It's so ridiculous. Um, and then, you know, it's full of the, uh, you know, the heavy hitters of the eighties, uh, Stallone, Kurt Russell, Terry Hatcher <laughs> plays, plays Sylvester Stallone's sister, uh, who is a, I can't even tell you like, what is she like a non stripper drummer like dance chick or i don't know like what yeah <laughs> i kind yeah. of forgot yeah i was like what is she, she she's like she's like sheena easton um but like doing a strip tease but she is wearing pants and like a bikini top <laughs> it's weird uh you got jack uh palance brian james of course has to be in an 80s action movie all of them he is robert <laughs> robert zadar uh, oh yeah ma- the zadar. maniac cop 
James yeah. Hong, who was in everything in the 80s, Michael mm-hmm. J. Pollard, Jeff Lewis, uh, wearing just an absolutely horrible toupee. Uh, <laughs> what I th- thought was interesting, so, you know, doing uh, research on this movie, uh, originally it's supposed to be Sylvester Stallone and Patrick Swayze. Oh, uh-huh. That's a completely different movie, right. I feel yeah. like. Uh, that's not as big and like, uh, popcorn as it is with Kurt Russell. Uh, this is the movie that introduced us to FUBAR fucked up beyond all recognition. Uh, Uh, we get to see Kurt Russell in drag and he is a gorgeous, gorgeous woman. He, yes. Okay. He makes a great woman. So (laughs) I'm I'm sorry. Kurt Russell is a sexy man. Kurt Russell is a sexy woman. I, I, he's, you know, and, and he's. You know, he's I'm I don't know if there's any other actor. uh, Kurt Russell is my favorite actor of all time. I don't know if there's any actor as charming as Kurt Russell. And so he's just always fun to watch on screen, no matter what the hell he's doing. Yeah. Um, And then the end is literally a monster truck rally. Amazing. (laughs) (laughs) So amazing. (laughs) Like just giant construction equipment running around and like. They're crazy. I love that van that they have or like that modified <laughs> truck. Yeah. I don't know what it, like this crazy modified car that I thought was the coolest thing I've ever seen when I was eight. Honestly, it was like <laughs> it's, it's still the coolest thing I've ever yeah. seen. <laughs> oh, and it's all like it's all practical as far as I can tell. Like they yeah. literally drove all this shit and we're like out there doing and they're just stuff. blowing shit up and like wrecking. I mean, the, God, the, the amount of money uh, <laughs> wasted on, you know, stunts. That obviously Kurt Russell and, and Sylvester Stallone were probably doing themselves uh, because they're like, we get to drive this shit. Yeah, we're going to do it ourselves. <laughs> um, so, uh, it you know, super fun. Love that movie. Uh, I'm going cops with this. I was thinking Bullet. I was thinking The French Connection. I was thinking Dirty Harry. Uh, but ultimately, and, and this was before the news broke that Richard Rush uh, just passed yesterday. As of this recording, we learned that Richard Rush, uh, director Richard Rush, died on April 8th. And so uh, I had already paired this with his movie from 1974, Freebie and the Bean, which is uh, a movie I absolutely adore. This is a five-star movie for me. It's uh, written by Robert Kaufman and Floyd Mutrux, who is, uh, again, one of those guys you probably wouldn't know his name. But he's got his hands on movies like Tulane Blacktop, Aloha, Bobby and Rose, Mulholland Falls. Um, and then, you know, directed by Richard Rush, <clears throat> who did, you know, a bunch of great exploitation movies in the 70s. Hell's Angels on Wheels, Thunder Alley with uh, Net Funicello and Fabian. And then, of course, uh, his is I, I don't know if he won an Oscar or he was nominated for the stuntman in 1980. Uh, but Freebie and the Bean stars Alan Arkin and James Caan as uh, the Bean and Freebie. Uh, but uh, I, I will say this is not a politically correct movie at all. It says so right there in the title uh, with Bean. Um, so uh, these these two guys are detectives for the San Francisco Police Department. And uh, the film opens up with them digging through the trash to find uh like the the smallest shred of evidence uh to bust this local crime boss and in the process they they turn the city upside down uh by like wrecking thousands of cars 
Uh, great car chase in this movie. Um, they're beating up the wrong people. They're just pissing everybody off. Um, you know, it opens. I love the way it opens. It's like a 70s sitcom. So they're digging through the trash. They find what they're looking for. They get back in the car. And there's just a montage of them walking and driving around the city with this like, you know, fun 70s. It's it's almost like a ripoff of Sanford and Sons. Um, Sanford <laughs> wanna, and Sons. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a ripoff of that theme song uh, while they're just walking around. It's great. I love it. Um, and you're watching Freebie and the Bean and it's it feels like you're literally watching these two friends, James Conn and Alan Arkin, just hanging out playing around screwing around because they're not uh, you're watching they're not taking it seriously like alan arkin is smirking the entire movie he can't keep a straight face uh they're just having the best time you know talk about charm these two are incredibly charming um you know they have they're chasing after uh this company called the vertigo trucking company uh, which, you know, Vertigo uh, throwback to or a, a tribute to Vertigo being shot in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the cast is so good. You got Khan, you got Arkin, you've got Loretta Swit from uh, from MASH. You've got Jack Kruschen, uh Mike Kellen plays their lieutenant. Mike Kellen was uh, <laughs> the uh, head counselor in Sleepaway Camp. Uh, Alex Rocco is one of my favorite character actors of all time. He plays the DA. He's so freaking funny. Valerie Harper plays Bean's wife. Uh, she's so funny. And again, like the, some of the best car chases you will ever see. John Landis, I assume, took a lot of inspiration from the car chases in Freebie and the Bean for the Blues Brothers for that that huge final car chase at the end of the Blues Brothers uh, this is a must watch. Matt, have you seen Freebie and the Bean? Uh, sadly, I have not. <laughs> and I know it, it came up like a long time ago. I want to say on pure cinema. I feel like it was a very early mention and I put it on my yeah. radar because I haven't even, even heard of it. And I was like, wait, it's got James Conn and Alan Arkin. I haven't even heard this movie. <laughs> and uh, I think they mentioned the same thing you said, that it's not very PC uh, by today's standards. <laughs> and uh, but a lot of the same things that it is a lot of fun. There's some great action, great car chases. Um, no, I really do need to see it. I, uh, yeah, it's just, been, it's memorator for a long time. I just have not gotten around to it, but it sounds, it sounds really good. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so fun. Uh, again, just incredibly charming fellows there. Um, when you and I and, uh, Daniel did that Warner archive, uh, episode for cobwebs, mm-hmm. I almost included this, um, but yeah, it's a. Uh, I, I think you know, it's it's a disc. You sh- everybody should go out and buy. You know, of course from Amazon now. But uh, yeah, it's such a good, such a funny movie. Yeah, I really gotta check it out. Um, it's it sounds pretty great. So I think I think I would like it. So um, I will definitely I will definitely watch that uh, as soon as I can. So um, okay, I guess wow, we're already at the end here. This is crazy. Uh, so. Okay, I saved this one for last because I, I think the way that I paired it, I kind of worked myself into a corner here because <laughs> the, the way that I paired this, it's basically impossible for me to talk about the movies without talking about spoilers and they have like twists in them. Okay. So, I, you know, you gave me the ninth configuration from 1980 uh. <laughs> by William Peter Blatty. 
Um, yes. Which again had been on my radar forever. And I was so glad that you gave me this one to watch. Cause like, Oh, finally I can watch this movie. Cause I'd heard about it, but no one never really quite said or that I had what it was about. So right. it was like, I didn't really know what to expect. Um, so I'll tell people cause I think it's, it's lesser known. I would say, um, so it's about Stacey Keach, uh, stars as this uh, army general, I believe. He's yeah. a military guy who goes to this, he, he goes to run this large, like, castle in the Pacific Northwest that the U.S. government has turned into a, like, mental facility to, to kind of house military personnel who basically kind of gone insane, <laughs> is, is the premise. Uh, um, so it's like a mental hospital for for veterans if they've kind of, like, lost it from being... You know, it, this is kind of post Vietnam too. Is that that's like that the big thing here? So, um, but they kind of let them live in this castle and kind of kind of live kind of freely. Honestly, I think they kind of like, yeah. live, live their fantasies out. So it's like a supposed to be a better environment for them. So Stacey Keach goes there and he's supposed to run the place and he runs into all these oddball characters. Um, I think the main one would be uh, a guy played by Scott Wilson. Scott Wilson, yeah. Scott Wilson, who's really good. And I really haven't seen him that much. I mean, I think most people know Scott Wilson as Herschel from Walking Dead. Yep. <laughs> um, and this is like 30 years before he did that. And he plays an astronaut who aborted like a, a shuttle takeoff like minutes before it was supposed to go. And he basically lost it and they had to drag him off the ship. <laughs> and uh, there's all this stuff with him. And there's lots of other guys in this Um who, who kind of all these patients who have all kinds of things. And Stacey Keach trying to like figure out like, you know, he's trying to get the lay of the land. He just got here. So he's like, this is all very, very strange to him. And it's an- another strange movie where it's like, I don't even know how to describe it, honestly. <laughs> like yeah. it's kind of got some dark comedy. It's got like religious stuff going on. It's a drama. It's funny because I look trying to be and it literally has comedy drama horror mystery <laughs> like it's just, it's everything um uh you know it's it's all over the place it again a movie i had no clue where it was headed uh, i yep. could not tell you and i think it helped that i had the wrong idea in my head of what it was going to be because <laughs> I, I swear someone had described it on a podcast and i thought that it was going to be much more horror than it is yes. i thought we were going to devolve into like you know, like, I don't know, I can't even think of an example, but like some kind of crazy monster movie that doesn't really happen. Um, it goes a very different direction. Oh, I didn't mention Jason Miller from The Exorcist is in Exorcist, here, too. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and I, it's, I, oh, man, it's really hard to talk about because I don't want to spoil it. It's the tone is weird. Um, I liked I was very interested by it. I did not know what was happening. Uh William Peter Blatty seems like a very weird guy. Like he's, he wrote the exorcist. He literally only directed two movies, ninth configuration exorcist three. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I, I, there's a, there is a lot of talk about like, you know, God and religion, which, uh, you know, is fine. I'm not, I wasn't super into that stuff as much, but it's interesting. Um, there's a crazy bar fight near the end, which I didn't expect. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I'll, I'll ask you though, what are your, what are your feelings on this movie? <laughs> Uh, I've seen it the one time and it is, uh, uh, oh God. Uh, I mean, I, I went in completely blind. Mm-hmm. Um, so entertaining. I loved it. Uh, but it is so weird again, <laughs> just like you said, it went, 
uh, you know, there's twists and turns and, you know, uh, it got me. I'll tell you, you know, it got me. But here's the thing. Let me run down some cast members here real quick. You mentioned Stacey Keach and Scott Wilson, Jason Miller, Ed Flanders, who, uh, you know, I recognize Ed Flanders. He is George C. Scott's uh, priest friend in Exorcist 3. Uh, you've got Neville Brand, you've got George DeCenzo, Moses Gunn, Robert Loggia, Joe Spinell, Tom Adkins. Oh, yeah. Like, the <laughs> cast is ridiculous. Um, yeah. Richard and, Lynch shows up as like a, yeah, Richard like Lynch. a random biker. He's barely, it's like he just pops up out of nowhere. Yeah, I, the cast is amazing. I wish I'd, yeah, it's stacked. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's, yeah, I, I don't know if... Like how I, I I don't know how this this movie happened, right. um you know I've read I haven't read it's based off of his off of uh, Blatty's novel Twinkle Twinkle <laughs> Killer Kane, uh I haven't read that I've read The Exorcist I think Blatty is a terrific writer I think he's a great director I love The Exorcist three I love The Ninth Configuration. I mean, this is his. This is the first movie he ever directed. It's 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 a strong ass movie for yeah. a first time director. Man, he's um, crazy. And, he's and how <laughs> right and how he got all these people involved, I have no idea. I mean, I don't know if it's it's the Exorcist connection, whatever. Uh, but I mean, you know, Stacy Keach is so so good in this, and I, I think I went into this thinking. Uh, for some reason, God told me to like, I, I was, uh -huh. I was thinking, okay, is it going to be more like a God told me to, which is also, you know, goes to really <laughs> strange fucking places. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, kind of more horror. I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I didn't know what was, what was going to happen. And then, you know, everything unfolds and I was completely blown away, but yeah, I love this movie and I, I need to watch it again. Yeah, and that's a good point about Blatty as only did two movies. This is his first movie. He must have been riding that Exorcist wave. People were just like, I'll yeah. sign on because it's the guy did Exorcist, whatever. Uh, but it, I, I noticed this from Exorcist 3 and this too. And this is a good thing, I think. This feels like a guy who doesn't quite know all the air quotes rules of filmmaking because he's doing some really yep. weird, unconventional stuff in both movies where I think yep. most people would think to not do that <laughs> like but i you know there's that weird scene exercise three where like i think there's supposed to be in heaven and like fabio's there and patrick ewing patrick ewing yeah i don't know why <laughs> like uh just weird little touches like that where i don't think most people would do that and there's a there is like an amazing visual that will stick with me in this movie there's a few but the one that really blew me away i, I don't even know what so because scott wilson was this astronaut that you know was supposed to go to the moon and he's talking about dreams he had, I believe, or visions. And there's a there's a shot. I think it's like on one of the posters of like an astronaut on the moon yeah. staring yeah. at Jesus on the cross. Yes, it, I, it's like a yeah. painting. It looks like it's just this amazing visual um, that, uh, you know, I was like, that's that's fucking great. Like, I was like this, you know, bloody. He's definitely got some he, some chops. He knows what he's doing. So, um, th yeah, there's great stuff. I just was. I could hardly wrap my head around the movie because I was like, wait, what just happened? You know, it was like when it's over, you're like, what, what? you know, I had to go back and I read the Wikipedia synopsis again just to make sure I got everything. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, oh, no, I understood it. I got it. But it just it's just a lot to take in. Um, so, yeah, I really liked it. Again, once been on my radar forever and was glad I finally watched it. Um, uh, also on Prime. So, yeah, <laughs> a lot of Prime movies. Um, OK, so for the pairing. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, this is tough. <laughs> have you seen, I hope you've seen it at least, uh, have you seen uh, Shutter Island, Martin Scorsese's uh, Shutter Island? Yes. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, all right. Um, I'll try to talk around this as best I can. But, <laughs> so, uh, the, when I watched this movie, the first thing I thought of, this was the easiest pairing, like, was Shutter Island. Oh, cool. Like, yeah. it is. I mean, I, I started Googling. I was like, wait, <laughs> it's Corsese? Like, is this, like, how much, how is connected is this? And well, yeah. people were calling it out, but, but um, you know, not not directly. But, yeah, it's it was so interesting. So, um, Shutter Island is all about uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Mark Ruffalo as these two, uh, detectives, are they FBI agents or detectives? I can't remember, but they, they, they're going to investigate on this, uh, island, this mental hospitals there, uh, Shutter Island. And a lot of weird stuff happens. It's very, like, <laughs> very isolated place, a mental hospital, you know, outsiders coming in and meeting all these weird characters, like, um, and, you know, it just tonally, it feels similar. Uh, Story-wise, it feels very similar. Um, and oh, how much, I think a lot of people have seen Shutter Islands. I think I'm kind of off the hook of having to describe it in depth. But um, yeah, I mean, so interesting. This It's funny because Shutter Island is more horror than Ninth Configuration, I would say. It's yeah. scarier. Um, and it's so funny because I was thinking like, when, because I think Shutter Island is like really good. I think it's very a very solid movie. I would not put it like, near the top of Scorsese's filmography, but I think it's really good. But this just reminds me of like when a great director makes like a good movie, people I feel like aren't as excited about it. Like if anybody else had made Shutter Island, I think people would be like, oh, it's so great. And I think people like it, but you know, it, it's funny when great directors make things look really easy, basically is what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, and I, you know, I love the look of Shutter Island. I was like watching and thinking, who who shot this with Scorsese? And it was of course... It's uh, Robert Richardson, who oh, yeah. was worked with Scorsese a Quentin. bunch, and yeah, yeah, Tarantino a bunch, and uh, um, Oliver Stone, because it's that great, like, smoky, like, yep. top-down lighting. <laughs> like, you yep. just, you know it when you see it. Um, got an amazing cast, like Ben Kingsley, Max Van, Max Van, <laughs> uh, Max Van Sydow, Michelle yeah. Williams, Patricia Clarkson, Ted Levine, Jackie O'Haley, Elias Coteus. It's it's insane. It's like, but you know, it's Scorsese, so of course he can, like that one. I get how he got these people, right? Uh, so, um, it's very interesting. I do think I saw it in the theater and I really loved it because I was pretty blown away by the twist. But this time rewatching it, I feel like knowing what happens in Shutter Island, I didn't like it quite as much. It oh, kind of felt a little long, honestly. It's not even that long. I think it's like barely over two hours, I think. But um, it, I don't know. It just, when I knew the twist, I'm like, I wasn't as, in, it's still a really well-made movie. Very well acted. Like, you know, it's good. I just think it kind of loses a little something. And, you know, I, I don't know. I think it's still really good, though. It, it's very interesting. Um, I think a lot of people have seen it. So, I'm like, But I think they pair well together. It, it might almost. Oh, 100%. Yeah. yeah. You watch one at the other. You're like, oh, okay, I get it. But yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's very it's it's a good movie. It's a late and a late Scorsese movie, and he's still like hitting on all cylinders, you know, at that point. So, um, yeah, uh, are so like, do people not like this movie? I I don't know. That's the weird thing. I don't know. I think they. I just think it's like looked down upon in his filmography or put. But it's it's so hard when it's Scorsese. I mean, then you've got you got to contend with. Goodfellas and Taxi Driver and even Wolf of Wall Street, I think it's more attention and The Departed gets more attention. You know, it's like I think people thought it was weird. Also, when a director and this has happened a lot with Scorsese, 
when they step outside of their box, and I think Scorsese's been way unfairly boxed into by people who just don't know that much. <laughs> they like, oh, he's the crime guy. He's the mob guy. And that's yeah. all they want to see. Right. So if it's not like a crime story or something, then they're not as interested. So I think the fact that he does like a weird uh, horror movie or, you know, this kind of movie that's kind of out of the box for him, people, they just don't put it with his movies because it's not what they want from a typical Scorsese. But he also made Age of Innocence and uh, Last Station of Christ. And, you know, he's made all kinds of movies. But, you know, so I, I don't know. I, I, it's been a long time. I, it's been out 10 years. And, you know, I think people liked it when it came out. But when I hear people talk about his movies, um, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, even I am like, yeah, I like it, but I'd put like a bunch of other movies of his ahead of it. If that makes sense. So. Yeah, that's okay. So I'm looking at my letterboxd and, uh, un unhighlighted, uh, but movies that I've seen the Wolf of wall street, shutter Island casino, Hugo Cape fear. Um, so those are movies that I've seen, but haven't watched since started using letterboxd mm -hmm. everything else. Uh, like I think, I mean, let me look at boxcar Bertha real quick. What did I give that? Uh, shit, man. Like boxcar Bertha <laughs> is the lowest rated Scorsese. That's a, it's, it's still a three star movie. That's a, you know, a, a simple, fun little exploitation movie. Right. <laughs> um, but like, I mean, I, I haven't watched Shutter Island in maybe five years, but shit, I still love it. I mean, uh, fuck, I want to watch it tonight after we hang up. <laughs> I want to. I want to find out what the hell people are talking about. And here. maybe I'm wrong because I just look on Letterboxd and Shutter Island has a 4.0 average, which is the same as Wolf of Wall Street looks like. So maybe, maybe I'm wrong here. But I, I mean, I, it's so hard when you've got a filmography like Scorsese and a, sure. one that's gone on for so long and so many movies and so many great movies. It's like I don't know. I have to like. <laughs> I feel like I've just heard people say that they thought it was like lesser Scorsese. They thought it was more of like a maybe like a generic, not generic, but like more of a typical crowd pleaser. It didn't feel like him. But I think it goes back to the whole thing about like, I, I see this on Twitter all the time. There's people who like think that Scorsese's only made like mob movies or right. crime movies. Like he's only yeah. made Goodfellas and Casino. And it's like, so I, I have no idea. Maybe I'm wrong. It looks like Letterboxd uh, <laughs> is showing me that maybe I'm wrong about Shutter Island, but it's still a really good movie. I just think when I saw that, I would have said it was like, you know, a four and a half at a five star movie. And now I took it down to like three and a half or something. Just kind right. of knowing the twist and like, I don't know. It, you know, <laughs> sure. No, yeah. no, no, I, you know, I, I think, well, that Pierre cinema, uh, episode a few years ago when they went through Scorsese filmography was so good. Yes. Yeah. Uh, be, because I mean, you know, the way Brian and Elric talk about, uh, movies in general, but like, especially their director, I haven't listened to the Lynch one yet, but like when they did Carpenter, the Hitchcock one is the first one they did. Uh, but like the way they talk about directors and then they go through their filmography, even when they get to the quote unquote lesser films, right. <laughs> they still show them love and uh, like show that these directors are still like masters of their, their craft. And uh, I mean, I shit. <laughs> I'm, I'm really, I'm honestly, I'm really curious about Shutter Island because yeah, knowing the twist, um, I wonder, you know, how that is going to play. Uh, but I mean, talk about what a pairing with, uh, ninth configuration. That'd be a great night at the movies right there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I was thinking about this. I'm like, this has to have been done before, but I just, I couldn't not do it because it felt so 
like a perfect pairing. And yeah, uh, yeah, I was just yeah. And it's funny about those pure cinema directors podcasts because they will make you think. I feel like the way they talk about things, it's like even movies I thought were bad or I didn't even care about, they make me immediately want to go watch them. You know? right. It's like, oh, no, that movie was great. What am I thinking? You know? Um, yeah. So that's yeah. I have to go back and listen now and see what they paired Shutter Island with. Now I'm curious. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah. It's you got to listen to that Lynch one, too. It's really, really good. Um, I, I'm going to fill in the holes in my David Lynch filmography, which I only have a few of. It's like his and it's like his more mainstream stuff I haven't seen. So, yeah, man, that's uh, huh. I'm really, really curious about Shutter Island now because, yeah, I mean, that that <laughs> cast alone is quite something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, I I personally love Leonardo DiCaprio and, you know, I think he he can do it all. You know, I th- and, and this shows it like even with Scorsese, um, you know, uh, I don't know if I want to see a Martin Scorsese slasher film uh, or maybe I do shit. Who knows? Uh, but, you know, I, I feel like, I mean, this he you know, he's proven not that he needs to, but he's proven himself that he, you know, he can he can do it all. Yeah, absolutely. I, I yeah, that's a sign of a great director. He can do anything because um, he does. I think Hugo's like the year after this. Yeah, uh, that's like a, a, a kid's adventure movie. It's completely yeah. out of his head uh, of his normal well wheelhouse. So um, I'm actually curious now. We put this out now. If people can let me know what they think of Shutter Island, because yeah. maybe we'll get some well, insight. Maybe I've been living in a bubble, or I just heard some, <laughs> a couple negative things. I took that as like the gospel for Shutter Island, but uh, you know, I, it's still a very good movie. Like, I don't get yeah. me wrong. I, I think it's a great movie, but I mean. Jesus, it's Scorsese. I mean, what do you, it's like, right. What do you expect? Exactly. Yeah, it's funny because uh, me and uh, and Mark, who's been on the show, Mark Warner, are going to do an episode. I'll tell you now on, on The Departed pretty soon. Mm. So we'll be talking about a lot more Scorsese stuff on that one, I'm sure. So I get his take on it, too. I'm very I'm, big, I'm nice. so curious now. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that, I, I think that that pairing goes really well. It's the one I felt the most confident about. I was like, this pair, oh, this for pairing sure. Perfectly. So. Definitely. Um, Man, yeah, I I can't believe we're at the end already. That's crazy. <laughs> so we did it. We we did it. Yeah, we. <laughs> <laughs> um, again, a lot of fun. Um, man, yeah. No, I'm glad you pushed me to watch a couple things that I've been, you know, waiting to watch forever. And just yeah, sometimes you need that little extra push just to watch something. So, um, yeah, I hope I got to check out like a couple of your things, especially Cooley High. That one sounds yeah, Cooley High definitely really really good. Um. Man, yeah, I almost feel like I'm like, no, we could talk longer, but I, <laughs> we're, out of, we're out of movies. Um, well, anything else you want to bring up, Anthony, before we wrap up here? Or? Uh, no, I mean, I just, uh, you know, I love uh, being able to do this. This is super fun. I, I love uh, having fun assignments like this with you. <laughs> oh, yeah, no problem. This is this is a fun assignment. It, like, I think I told you back when I had to push it back. I'm like, I love this. It's a lot. It's a lot of prep work, but it's worth it because like. I think it's a fun episode to record. I hope people like listening to that, but, yeah. but uh, it's a very fun episode to record and talk about. And it's a fun exercise. So um, we'll have to do another one. Although I think the next time you'll be back is next month for Unscottable for Beverly Hills Cop 2. Yes. <laughs> so I'm really looking forward to that. So um, yeah, that should be a lot of fun and we'll have to do this again. We'll have to figure out some other stuff. I'll keep giving you newer movies and see if you haven't seen them next time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I guess we'll we'll wrap up and uh, let you plug all your all your podcasts, social media, all that stuff. And yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, you can follow Cult Movies Podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Cult Movies Pod. You can follow me 
on Twitter and Instagram and Letterboxd at A-K-D-O-N-E-L-L-Y, A-K Donnelly. Um, and yeah, we got one more episode for this season coming up on uh, the Sunday after this comes out. So uh, that'll be the season finale with a very special guest. I'm I'm excited for everyone to hear. Yes, I'm very excited for that episode. So I will... I will keep uh, quiet about who it is, but I'm really excited for <laughs> it. So, um, yes, everyone should be listening to that podcast if you're not already. It's it's so good. You've had you've done a great job, and you've had great guests, and it's just it's it's fantastic. So, um, yes, I will just go ahead and plug the usual stuff here. So, uh, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at Film Feast Pod, uh, where you can definitely tell us uh, what you think of Shutter Island. Uh, yes. <laughs> and uh, you can follow me on Twitter uh, at MattBled87. And you can follow me and the podcast on Instagram at Film Feast, all one word. Um, and that is it for this week. So um, thanks, everybody. Thank you, Anthony, again, for doing this. It was so much fun. And thank we'll you. And we'll do it again. Yes. <laughs> and thank you, everybody. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.